0: Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And I know for me and for so many others, that path seems so vague and so foggy and so broken in so many places right now. And so we need your spirit. We need your spirit to illuminate your truth in our lives that we might be able to see your glory in greater ways that we might be able to find your hope in the places that seem hopeless. And we begin now by asking you to speak those truths through your word. I pray that my words are not my own, God, but may everything that comes from my lips just further focus on the truth that you would have for us from your wisdom and from your word as we open it up together. Thank you for the privilege of sitting at your feet And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you, open it up and join me in the Gospel of Mark. That's where we're going to be today, chapter 12, um, beginning at verse 13. And as you uh, look that up here, um, again, Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him, the word of the Lord. Well, today we're starting a new series, new Sunday sermon series, and it's titled, We Need... To talk, And I don't know about you, but whenever somebody says to me, we need to talk, I always get a little bit nervous because nobody ever follows that statement with something that's insignificant, do they? Like, like nobody says, we need to talk about whether we're going to get ice cream or not, right? Nobody says that. Or we need to talk about how you felt about the movie we watched last night. Nobody does that. When someone says to you, we need to talk, you know it's serious and there's some concern and you might even need to sit down for this one. Well, as, as a pastor, I'm watching things unfold before my eyes. I, I'm watching that as, as the people of God or people that, that strive to find their hope of God are being drawn into what I would call some very dangerous places in the midst of the season that we're living in right now. And I'm concerned I'm concerned for our overall well-being, and there's some specific areas that I want to address over the next five weeks, and so that's why we're calling this We Need to Talk. And before I even get into this first week, I just want to explain something about preaching. I know that, that oftentimes us preachers can come across as, as really confident about things, but, but I want you to know that, that if, if, if anything that I say originates from the Word of God, it means that, that God is preaching to me first, that i am preaching to myself first that that i need to hear the words that are coming out of my own mouth because they come out of the word of God as we get into it together. I need to hear that truth as much as you do. And I believe that to be true with what we're going to be talking about throughout this series. And so I want to just kind of give you a quick overview of what this series is going to look like. Um, The first one we're going to get into is we figured we'd just start out with a light topic. So today we're going to talk about Politics And uh, Mark chapter 12, which we read just a minute ago. Uh, then next week, we're going to talk about God's big shoulders and lament and how we can pray. Um, and we can pray to God uh, no matter how we're feeling. If we're feeling hopeless, if we're angry, he can handle our prayers. And then the next week, we're going to talk about offensive grace. The grace of God is often offensive, to, especially to those of us who are trying to earn it ourselves. Uh, the next week after that, we're going to talk about rest uh, and rest. rest. Rest not being a luxury, but a command. Uh, We often think of rest as a fringe benefit, vacation time at work, but it's a command by the word of God. And then the last week, we're going to talk about the essential nature of community, that we need each other, even in this season where we feel so disconnected. These are things that we need to talk about In the midst of our world today and so let's dive into the first one politics now in case you've been living under a rock and if you have i don't blame you there's definitely some temptation to that these are the final moments that we're living in right now of an election year. Almost everyone from every different political perspective on the spectrum would agree that the political climate in this particular moment we're living in is more toxic now than it has been in maybe many of our lifetimes. And this was true before the pandemic, this, this isn't something new, but, but if it was a flame that, that reached up to our knees before March, COVID-19 has kind of been like pouring gasoline all over it, and at this moment, it feels like we're fully engulfed in flames. And the problem, and the reason we need to talk about this, is that Christians are often found smack dab in the middle of it all, and it's killing us. It's, it's killing our witness at a time when the world needs to see people who have hope in something secure. It's killing our relationships. I've talked to, to members of our church family, to many of you who have said that some people within your own families aren't even on speaking terms because of your differences in political views. It's, it's literally tearing our families apart. It's tearing churches apart and it's robbing us of peace at a time when we desperately need the peace of God. Now, thankfully, this is nothing new. <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't say thankfully in the sense that this has been going on for a long time, but, but we can go back 2,000 years and we can see that very similar dynamics were at play in the socioeconomic, political climate of Jesus' day. And even Jesus himself had to be really careful when it came to the treacherous waters of politics, which I don't know about you, but that makes me feel just a little bit more hopeful that if Jesus experienced the same thing, we're not alone. And so. We're in the Gospel of, of Mark, chapter 12, and let's just dive into this story. We're we're reading a recording that is is in three out of the four Gospels. It's an important story that where Jesus finds himself in in the week before he's arrested and killed on the cross. And so we know that week that's Passion Week, that's Holy Week, and and it happened Jesus' death on the cross at the hands of a corrupt and religiously influenced government. And so that's the context that we find ourselves in. And you've probably heard this particular story. Jesus is asked if we as followers of Christ have to pay our taxes. Or in that case, it was Jewish people, the followers of Yahweh. Do we still have to pay our taxes to the government? And as much as I wish that he said every April 15th, no, you don't have to do it, that isn't the simple answer that Jesus gives. And so let's dive into verse 13. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to, get, to Jesus to catch him in his words. It's a trap. The word catch in the Greek is an aggressive word. It's it's to grab hold of. This was premeditated. It was a forceful attempt to nail Jesus. And they decided to use politics to do it. Pretty clever, wouldn't you say? And and they thought this through. These were very intelligent people because as you get into the weeds and the discussion that they're about to have, you're going to see that it would be nearly impossible for us to figure out a way that Jesus could possibly get out of it. Now, you look at verse 13, there's two groups of people that are asking the question we're about to hear, and they are in every other way opposed to one another on the political spectrum. You've got the, the Jewish Pharisees on one side and these were the the religious leaders who refused to fully submit to the Roman Empire that was ruling over their particular region in that day and then you've got the other side which are the Herodians and they're staunch supporters of Herod and as a matter of fact the, the only thing these two people had in common was that they both hated Jesus That was the only thing they had in common. Jesus threatened them. He threatened them both, their their power and their position and their future. And and we know that this was a great threat because we know just a few days later, both groups are going to come together to execute him. But in this particular moment, they still haven't been able to find anything wrong in Jesus. And so they're trying as hard as they can to trap him. And it says in verse 14, it says, They came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. This is, this is classical political schmoozing going on right here. They're kissing his feet. Jesus, we know that you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right? Let me ask you a question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, what is the imperial tax? It's, it's specifically a tax that is imposed on the people who are subject to Caesar. And the Jewish Pharisees would have argued that as people of God, the only one that they're subjected to is God. And so they're asking Jesus the question, what should we do? Should we pay taxes to this guy who says he's in charge of the people that God says only God is in charge of? That would be considered blasphemy and is punishable by death, as you probably are aware. Or, with the Herodians listening, these people that are loyal to the Roman Empire, would you, Jesus, want to start a revolution? that says that every Jewish person doesn't have to pay their taxes, therefore defying the Roman Empire, which, of course, is going to get you arrested and also probably killed. Do you see what they've done here? you see what they've done? It's, it's pick whichever side you want. doesn't matter, Jesus. You're going to die. And doesn't that feel just like the world we're living in right now? I mean, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, you pick one side, you end up alienating the other, and, and yet both sides seem to be standing there with their arms crossed, looking at us, saying, whose side are you on? And so what ends up happening, right, is, is we end up picking a side, and, and we find that it kills us anyway, I've spoken to leaders in the midst of this season, leaders of churches and schools and businesses and governments, and it doesn't matter. They'll tell you the decisions that they've had to make have been so hard they can relate to this conundrum. Do you, do you open or close? Do you enforce the mask mandate? Do you not enforce it? It doesn't really matter what you do. Someone is going to be furious with you. Same with politics, right? Same with politics. Like, like people say, how can you say you're a person who stands for the justice of God and not vote Democrat? Or how can you say that you're a person who stands for, for family values and, and not vote Republican? People will say that, that if you fight against racism, that, that you're automatically against the many different good police officers that are out on the streets every single day. They'll say that, that if you're against the violent riots that have taken over so many of our cities, that that means you must be a racist. We're saying to each other that if you're not on my side, then you're dead to me. And this is literally happening in so many places all across our world right now. Our world specifically. You see it all across social media. You can see it across the family dinner table right now. Families who don't speak to one another because their views are different. We disown each other. There's a word the Bible gives us for that. We hate one another. And if I heard Jesus right in Matthew chapter 5, he said something about hate. Hate. He said that hate is the same thing as murder. And I think I heard him right because the disciple John heard it that way too. And he said in in 1 John 3, 15, he said, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Friends, we're murdering each other out there. We're murdering each other out there. I see it every day. I see it in my own heart. And it's robbing us of the eternal life that God has given. And this is why we need to talk. This is why we need to talk. This is why I need to be as as direct with, with you as God is being direct with me as possible. And say as your pastor in this moment that we need to look at what Jesus has to say about what we're going through right now. We need to look at what Jesus has to say. This is not what I have to say. This is what Jesus has to say. And here's what he has to say. I want to give it to you, and then I'm going to flesh it out. This is a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. The world may be divided against itself right now, but what you need to know is that it's a trap out there, that there's a better way than the way that we're living. And if you can't see it, neither could the people in Jesus' day. Neither could they. They were smart too. (laughs) They were really smart and they couldn't see it. They had this premeditated trap to trap Jesus and it was a good one and they could not see another way, but Jesus is gonna show us a better way. And so my question for you before we show the better way, the way that Jesus shows us, are you ready to live a better way? Are you ready for a better way? And if you are, let's look at what Jesus says. Verse 15, it says, But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring a a denarius. This is a a coin. and, and, And let me look at it. And they brought the coin and they asked, and he asked them, he said, Whose image is this? And on whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Now now we know what would have been on one of those coins. On one side, it would have been a picture of the emperor Tiberius. And on the other side, there was an inscription. And the inscription on the coin would have said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And, And so when you read that, you know that what this coin really is is a pocket-sized idol. It's an idol. It's a pocket-sized idol to Caesar. And so naturally, you would think that a, a Jewish rabbi, like Jesus, would say, throw that thing away. But here's the irony. When Jesus asked these people what was on the coin, each and every one of them put a hand in their pocket and took one out. They all had one. The Jewish Pharisees had it, and so did the Herodians. And of course, they did. Because, like it or not, they lived under the rule of the Roman Empire. The, the Jews, just as, as much as, as the Gentiles, were using the Roman roads. They were enjoying Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace that was afforded to them by the Roman military at that time. They were reaping the benefits of being a part of the Roman Empire. And you're going to see that. They're going to cash in those benefits just a few days later when they pressure the governor of the region, Pontius Pilate, to kill Jesus. And what you're going to see here is that you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have your cake and eat it too, and we know that. And so Jesus Gave them an answer that no one could argue with when he said this. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. You're asking me if if, if we should pay taxes. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. In other words, Jesus doesn't jump into the trap by picking one side or the other. He says, if you give to God what God is due, then who cares about the stupid coin in your pocket with some dude's face on it? Who cares? If you're right with God, then Caesar can have the rest, which begs the question then, right? What are we supposed to give God? What are we supposed to give God? Well, Jesus answers that one too. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what God wants. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it in in other places, right? It's like the same thing. There's no commandment that's greater than these. Jesus says, give to God what is God's. What is God's? your life your hope god says your sin your your deep need to be cared for what's god's is is the only place you go for the eternal assurance of life that you need and the ultimate thing that that can all be encompassed within is is a four letter word and that's love love is the very thing that That God gave us first. And so then we in turn give it to him. But we also do the thing that Jesus said looks just like it. We give it to our neighbor. And the reason we need to talk is we're not loving our neighbor very well right now, are we, friends? We're not loving our neighbors very well right now. And so, so how do we do it? How do we overcome when the world just seems to be so divisive and we feel like just the little people that we are, we have such little influence? Well, well Jesus tells us, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics of doing what Jesus has called us to do. And I saw a quote that reflects this well. Uh, Just this week, it's by a a man named Richard Stearns. He's the the president emeritus of, of the Christian mission organization, World Relief, one of the largest Christian mission organizations in the world. And he said this just the other day. He said, politics is about legislating what you want the world to look like, following Jesus, is about being what you want the world to look like. Let me read that again. Politics is about legislating what you want the world to look like. Following Jesus is about being what you want the world to look like. Friends, both are important. I'm not gonna stand before you and tell you they're not. Jesus said it too, right? Pay your taxes, that's what he said. Pay your taxes. Vote in November Use the roads. We do use them. But the one thing that matters more than anything, the one thing that God wants first, the one thing that will literally change the world is not to stop and and stand back from all of it. It's the one thing that you don't have to wait until November to act on. It's to be the person that Jesus is calling you to be. And you know what that is. He said, love your enemies. He said, love your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. And what that looks like today is to not buy into the lie or the trap that the world is telling us right now because it's a trap and there's a better way. And so when our differences threaten to divide our relationships, first of all, I'm not telling you to change your opinion unless the Spirit of God is dwelling you inside of you to do so. When you are threatened in your relationships, love the other person deeper. Love them deeper. Forgive them more. Wash their feet. Because the worst thing a conflict can do is kill you. And yet because of Jesus, we know that dying to ourselves, dying to our perspective, dying to our opinion in order to love. Jesus never let go of what he was doing. He said, I laid down my life. I've been given that authority. Nobody's doing it for me. Nobody's going to do it for you too. But you can choose to do it. And when you choose to do it out of love, then, then yeah, there might be a part of you that is sacrificed. Well, guess what? If you follow Jesus, you know that death is only the beginning of eternal life with him. It's the way we rise above it. And and I was thinking about this this week. A a few few years ago, there's a family that moved in uh, behind our house, and it's the house literally directly behind us. And and they moved in with, with two young kids. The family before had two older kids, and, and so now they've got two young kids, and they're roughly the same ages as two of our children, and and Alyssa and I have really loved to see that, that their kids and our kids, they love hanging out with each other. They're always spending time with one another. Alyssa and I love the parents, and I'm not just saying that because they're probably watching right now, but we really do. They're just just the best neighbors in the world. We're so very grateful for them, And and this has been great because now we get to spend all this time with each other, but the problem has been that the previous owners built a fence between their backyard and our backyard. And so, so what we did for a while, actually up until just just about a month ago, is is we kind of had this makeshift system to help the kids get over the fence to be able to play with each other. And and I've got a picture that that I'll ask Pam to show on the screen right now of, of what we did. And, and and after a while, of course, you know you see it, it's it's not that safe. They were we're climbing over the fence, or little Sophie, like she's not old enough, we were afraid that they were going to hurt themselves or get splinters. If, if our whole family wanted to come over, we'd literally have to walk around the block, even though they're just a few feet from our back porch. And, and so it was, it was kind of a problem, and we started to talk about how we were going to fix it, and, and the parents decided that maybe we'd put in a gate, uh, we wanted to be able to break through the fence, and so we were going to put in a gate. But unfortunately, uh, all the lumber that we would have needed to be able to do that this summer was out of stock. And so, so we had to ask the question, what do you do, right? Like, like what do you do when you got this fence dividing people that want to be together, but you just can't get through the fence? Well, you might know the answer. You rise above it. You rise above it. I, I had a friend, He was he was having a garage sale, and... One of the things that he was selling was an old pool ladder, and I saw it on Facebook, and I texted him. I said, hey, if, if you haven't sold that pool ladder yet, we would really love it. It's, it's the perfect height to clear our fence. And, and so he, he, he heard my situation. He actually just gave it to us, and, and I want to show you a second picture here. Here's, here's the ladder. Now, eventually, we still want to be able to get through the fence. This is just a temporary fix, right? We want to find a way to get through the fence. Maybe we'll build a gate. Who knows? Or maybe we'll just tear the whole thing down. I mean, that's the vision, right? No fences at all. But that's just not the reality of the world that we're living in. And so until that day comes, it's nice to know that there's a way that we can rise above it. Friends, living the way Jesus has called us to live in, it's very simple. Loving our enemies. Watching our words laying down our pride. The way of Jesus is our way above the fence. It's our way over the things that divide us during this season. And the word of God says, don't fall for the trap that says it's not gonna work. Give to God what is God's. Love your neighbor, love your enemy more because the way of Jesus says that God died for both to be saved. And so let's let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's hard. It's hard not to pick a side in a world that feels so polarized and A message that seems to be coming from every direction that says that we have to at the expense of everyone else. And Lord Jesus, I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in the lives of too many other people. It's killing us, it's separating our churches, it's dividing our families, it's bringing the opposite of peace to our own hearts. And yet, without your way, there's no other way. We can't see what to do, and so we pick a side. Lord Jesus, I'm not asking you to take away our convictions any more than Jesus was asking the, Jew, the Jews of his day to stop paying their taxes, God. Help us to have passion For the prayer that you teach us to pray that says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, as we swim in our world and in our culture and in our politics, God, may everything we do be an expression of that prayer. But help us to remember that the most effective way that that prayer can become real life is not through how we vote. It is not through the things that we're convinced of. It is not through the tribes that we find a false identity from, but it is from the people of God that you are creating us to be. And I believe that if we believe that's true, we will see the conflicting world that we're living in right now not as as something that, that, that causes us dire eternal concerns, but it's an opportunity for hope. Because each and every person who's listening right now, each and every one of us who's praying as we speak these words, we have an opportunity to step into the fold and like Jesus to rise above it. And so help us to have the words to speak. Maybe more often, God, at least for me, help me to know when it's not my time to speak And help us to remember that the way we're called to live is to love our neighbor. That hate is equated to murder and that we're called to love our enemies as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.